everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Good morning. Good morning. Hope everybody's doing well. You doing good? Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. I appreciate it. <laughs> you know what they say. You know what they say. Uh, not yet, unfortunately. I've been trying to, I've been fighting with this thing. Tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow. Um, what's it? Oh, maybe. Like Stewie. Oh, like Bowie. Hey, I like that, man. I like that Bowie. That's a cool. <laughs> All right, well, hey. Hey, guys, thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, appreciate you guys being here with us this morning. Um, if you haven't been here with us the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a series uh, as we've studied the book of Galatians. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Hopefully you guys have as well. But we've been looking at this epistle, and that's something I want to start off with, kind of just emphasizing for us again as we go through this uh, book, right, the book of Galatians. I think it's important for us to understand this and highlight this fact. Um, we all know, as we've stated before, if you were here with us, that this is an epistle, right, that this was a letter written to the Galatians. Now, thankfully, uh, we have the luxury of reading the finished copy of the Bible, right? We have it in its entirety, and it's organized, you know, written and systemized for us to understand and read and then be able to go through in a orderly fashion and manner. But again, let's look back at this letter. Originally, as he's writing a letter, I don't know if you've ever written a hand letter. Um, that might be kind of outdated nowadays, but gentlemen, I encourage you to do that um, once in a while. Uh, people appreciate that. Uh, your significant other will appreciate that as well. Just a little heads up for you. Um, but as you're writing a letter... Um, you don't really write in chapters, do you? Right, when you're writing a letter, and in this case he's writing a letter, he's writing an epistle, he's not writing in specific chapters, right? Okay, well, hey, dear so-and-so, yeah, 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 chapter one, then na 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 end, chapter two, right? You, you don't write it that way when you're writing, in this case, a letter, as Paul was doing to the church in Galatia. He's writing in sentences, in paragraphs, Right? And so that's just, uh, that's just something that we should keep a, a heads up on. Uh, as we're reading through Scripture, sometimes we'll see uh, certain instances of that. Um, they, it, it's been organized in a way for us that it's very uh, easy for us to read. And most, most times, for the most part, it's broken down in, in certain chapters in a way that there really isn't a split um, between certain trains of thought. But in some cases, like we see this morning— we see a continuation of a point that was made in a previous chapter. And so, again, I just want to draw our attention to that. It's important that we look at the end of chapter 3 as well as we look at chapter 4 because this idea, right, is something that continues on from the previous chapter. And so I just wanted to give that as an example for us. Um, you know, maybe think of like a cliffhanger on a TV show. Um, you've seen plenty of TV shows where, you know, you're watching the uh, the the, the show is building up to this 
epic reveal or something's going to happen and then the show ends and then you have to wait until the next week or whenever to watch the next episode and find out what happens so and so right there's a continuation again we see this continuation here and what he is talking about Paul is talking about in chapter 3 about us uh, as sons and daughters of God Um, we see that he continues this in chapter 4 as I'll read to you now but he's continuing this idea that Through faith in Christ, we um, could never be saved again by the works of the law. We are saved through Jesus and faith in him. But not only that, not only are we saved, um, but we also have now a position of a child of God. And we are sons and daughters of God. So that's what we'll read this morning. It's Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. If you have your Bibles, you can flip on over there, but it'll also be on the screen for us. This is what it says. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he under the guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your own hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Again, in the second half of the previous chapter, we didn't touch on this too much as we went over chapter 3 here on Sunday morning, but if you continue to read chapter 3, you'll see that Paul discusses the promise God makes to Abraham and his offspring, and this is an inheritance not by the law, but a promise made by God, and it's to those that believe who are of faith, you are true sons of Abraham, and there's something that's unique about that, and as he's telling this through his letter and and his words are um, almost a rebuke, perhaps, not just to the Jewish leaders that had come in and were trying to change what he was saying, but even to the Jewish Christians, because when he is saying these things, he is rebuking those Jewish Christians who try to bring the Gentile Christians under the law as well. Uh, What he's saying here, right, is maybe definitely is going against what they had assumed or they had believed. And that was that they were superior because they descended from Abraham. They were direct descendants, right? They were Jewish. They were from that lineage. Um, If you go and look at their ancestry, they would have been connected to, by blood, to Abraham. Not only that, but they were also under the law. But Paul, what he's saying here, it's the most important link to Abraham is not that of your blood, your, your background, your, your genetics. That is not the most important part. That is not what links you to him per se in this regard. The promise is valid for those not that are just Jewish and that are under the law, but it is faith. And I think that's an important challenge for us as well. Before we begin, it's important for us to highlight that because the same applies Being born in a Christian family does not save any one of us. Just because your parents have a relationship with God, 
just because they go to church, just because they have been saved, they have accepted Jesus into their lives, that does not mean that you have a relationship with him. That's not something that's passed down to you. It should be convicting for us if that's something that we've grown comfortable with. That is not what having a relationship with God looks like, putting your faith and trust in him. Your faith is your own, not your parents. There's, I've heard this before, but it's God is a father, not a grandfather. He's your father. And we'll read that today as we continue to go through, as we've already read in chapter four, he is our father, Abba Father. Again, that's important for us to take note of. And as we look at the last verse, as we look at this uh, end of chapter 3, we see that he is talking about God as our Father. He says that we belong to Jesus Christ, that we are spiritual descendants of Abraham. And if we are, that means we are heir to the promise he received from God again. Um, and that was, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. The blessing is not a materialistic thing. It's not power. It's not wealth. What the blessing is here is so much more than that. Is that that is a right standing with God. And that's what we receive as heirs of Abraham. We are one in Christ. And the first thing we see here, based on the first couple of verses that we've read, is that we are no longer in bondage. We are no longer enslaved to sin. We are children of God. We are God's children. Again, we see that as he paints a picture for us here of what that means. We're going to look at the first two verses here first. This is what he says. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under the guardians, or he is under guardians and managers until the set date by his father. When he talks about slave here, the, the connotation is that you are subordinate to a master, even uh, owned by that master. Now, when he talks about a child, right, in verse 1, if you can go back to that, verse 1 and 2, we see that he says, as long as he is a child. When he is talking about a child, he is talking about a little child. He's talking about an infant, a, a minor better yet, right? There's not a specific age attached to it, but this child, you could presume, this minor doesn't have the full power of speech yet, and most importantly, what's the distinguishment here? Uh, what is the distinguishment here? Um, it's that he is not of the age yet and where he is considered an adult. That's what's important for us to understand in regards to the context, right? We know Paul is a Jewish man himself, um, what you may or may not know is that he was also a Roman citizen. So as he is writing, he is writing these things and he is using familiar illustrations uh, that would help explain this for them. And so when he is writing, there is this thing in Roman homes, right? It's part of their customs that a servant, or imagine a wealthy family, a servant would take charge of different possessions of their master. And that could be a, a number of different things. It could be their livestock. It could be certain uh, books of theirs. And in a lot of cases as well, it would be their children. So they would look over and watch over their children. They had full authority, uh, as you would imagine, over that child. As the child is born, the servant would be the one that would care for them. They would teach them, right? Foster them nurture them in whatever way possible. And so they would take care of 
this child whose father owned everything. Yet the servant, although in service to the father as well, still had this guardianship, this, as we read here, this managing almost of the child, taking care of this, of this child. And it gets to the point here where he says, um, the date set by his father, what he is talking about here, right? You are under the guardianship until this set date. He is talking about something else that was part of this custom here of these people. And that was uh, a time in which the father recognized that the son, right, was capable of making decisions on his own. When he got to that point, right, it wasn't like today where we have all these laws that determine if you're an adult or not, right? At a certain age, you can drive, at a certain age, you can go out and do certain things. You can do this. You can do that. You are enlisted. You can vote. Um, you're a legal adult now. All of these different things, right? Certain ages and laws kind of dictate that for us. But in this tradition, we see here that the one who determines that is the father, and that is based on his own interpretation and ability to determine whether or not that child could make decisions for themselves. And when he did recognize that, when he did appoint that time, when he did decide that that was the fact, that point would determine when he would be brought into a position of a full-grown son. That was when he was considered to be an adult. Depend, didn't matter the age. There was not a particular age that was associated with it. Um, but instead, back then, they did this, and they did a ceremony. Um, they would do a ceremony called the Toga Virilis, and they would celebrate this happening when Everybody would come together. They would have a ceremony, and the father would place this, uh, again, as we read the toga of Rilis, they would place this toga, this robe, on his child, on the son, in which it recognizes the son as his own son, uh, as an adult as well, but as his own son, there was typically a crest on that toga, on that robe, on that garment, a crest of his family, right? You guys all know what a crest is. Um, a family crest you would see. Maybe some of you guys have that. Uh, that's a white thing, not something that I've ever seen in my culture. But anyways, um, uh, you guys might be familiar with that. But the, the father would, it's almost like a stamp of approval, right? It's a signature from the father himself. He would put this ring on his finger with this crest. And again, this was almost a signature from the father in which the father passes his authority the authority that he has over all of his, all of his um, things, making him now um, under, under that as well, right? He now has authority over all of his father's things. Um, he is no longer under the rule of the servant who is under the rule of his father. Does that make sense? You following along? He now is, he has rule over that servant, the one that was his guardian and, and master and, and manager and raised him. Now the same authority that his father has, he now has as his father has passed that down to him. And that's what's happening here. The, the, the date that has been set. See this in, in verse 3, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to elementary principles of the world. Right? There's no running away from it. When we we're born, immediately we were born with a sin nature. We are enslaved to the sins of this world. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. They bind us. And Jesus, he has broken that. 
the elementary principles of this world, when we see these, uh, when we see this, um, we think, okay, well, what are these elements? What is, what is he talking about? I, I'm not talking about the, uh, the elements that we see on a periodic table. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here is the, uh, I've heard it said by different commentators, the ABCs of the universe. Just elementary knowledge. And it could be a line of different things. Um, some of these principles, the ABCs of the universe, if you would, um, it's important for them um, to have broken away from that because they had bled into the law. And it's important for, for us to break away from these things too. Some of these principles that we see and we're familiar with, one being uh, cause and effect, right? Cause and effect. What that means is this principle um, of you get what you deserve, right? We all know that. that. That's pretty much embedded in our lives. It's part of our daily lives. You get what you deserve, another word for it would be perhaps something that we're all familiar with, right? You've heard it said, and you've heard it used, and maybe you've used it yourself, the word karma, right? And so on and so forth. There's so many different ways to describe it, but that is something that, you know, it rules the minds of men, and we, we live under this idea that what we get is what we deserve, right? If we're good, what does that mean? It means that we, we should get good. We deserve good. If we are bad, we deserve what we get. We deserve the bad things that happen. And, and as we've seen in our study already, as we've been talking about Galatians, this specific principle, we see that sometimes it does even creep into our relationship with God. Being good then assumes that we deserve good from God and vice versa. But Paul reminds the Galatians that they used to live in bondage to this. Um, again, we have to notice that as well for our own lives. In a broad sense, however, we don't necessarily run away from that principle or escape it, right? It's just embedded into the universe that we live in, um, right? We don't make away with it completely. There is a place for it. The ABCs of the universe, right? Think of the basic principles that we live with, right? Imagine you go to school and you're sitting through class, and you decide, you know what, I'm just going to be on my phone the whole time because, you know what, I don't really care. Um, it's, you know, it's no big deal. I'll just sit down as they're going over science class. I'll just play Uno on my phone. It's not a big deal. I'll just do that. Um, text my friends, or maybe take a nap, right? I'll go to bed. I'll sleep. It's not, not that important. I'll do that. As a matter of fact, you know, I don't get what I deserve, so I'll do that. And then imagine she takes out a quiz, right? She takes out a test and she starts handing it out and she says, okay, well, everybody has to take this test. And then you look at her and you tell her, well, you know, I don't want it to take the test. I'm just going to sleep through it. And you don't take the test. And by the time it's done, she comes around to collect it from you and you tell her, haven't you heard? It's all about grace. It's all about grace, teacher. It's not about you get what you deserve. It's all about grace. Since it's all about grace, why don't you express some grace? Why don't you show me some grace? And just give me an A, right? You heard the good news. You could expect probably the first thing you'll do is you'll get an F. Um, and then you'll probably get sent to like the principal's office or something. But 
you can see that this principle is applicable in certain areas of our lives. As a matter of fact, I prescribe to that. I ascribe to that. You as well most likely do, and it's normal and natural that we do. However, this thinking, if we apply the same principle specifically to our relationship with God in some ways, that it is poisonous to that. Thinking that we get what we deserve, for example. Trust me, if your relationship was based on you getting what you deserve, I do not have any good news for you. Um, this would really be meaningless, right? There would be no hope for all of us, none of us. But thankfully, we don't get what we deserve. Thankfully, the same principle that this universe subscribes to does not apply when it comes to our faith in Jesus and what he has done because it's not about what I can do. It's not about what you can do. It's not about what I deserve. It's about what he has done for you. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't deserve what he went through, but he went through it anyways for you because he loves you. And the Galatians, they understood this. They had come to this understanding of God's grace God's grace contradicts that this way of thinking because God doesn't deal with us on the basis of what we deserve when it comes to our salvation. That God's grace is given to us on a completely different basis than elementary principles of this world, reasons found in him and not us. How then? Uh, verse 4 tells us, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He saw the bondage that the human race was under the law and he sent his son to bring redemption at just the right time, at the time appointed. You ever wonder why it took God to send his son so long? Why it took Jesus so long to come to the earth? You know, we, we can have conversations about why this was the right time, but we don't have to because right here we see it very clearly that this was in the fullness of time. The fullness of time had come, and that means the perfect time. That's what he is referring to when he talks about the fullness of time. That is the time that is appointed, the time that is chosen by God. And this was just at the right time. What are some of the things that we know about God? Well, we know God is sovereign. We know God is eternal. He knows all things. If God knows all things, and if God is perfect, then what does that say about his timing? That his timing is perfect. He, he doesn't make any errors when it comes to anything, not even with his time. He is not ever early. He is never too late. And that is very applicable to this context when we're talking about Jesus coming down. But I, I want to just pause from that and take a break and, and look at every situation that we go through and that we talk about and that we have discussed. Things that are going on in your lives now. Hopefully this is an encouragement to you again to remember that God's timing is perfect in our lives. Even though we may not understand it, even though we may not see it, comprehend how his timing works, you won't, but we can trust in the fact that God is perfect and that his time is perfect. 
always on time, never too early, never too late. We see that again with his son coming. And when the time had come, God sent his son, who later died for the sins of the world, and he was born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus, according to the flesh, was a Jew, right? And as a uh, church creed says, he was very man, a very man, and very God, a very God. Something we'll talk about on Tuesday, so I encourage you to be here. He was sent to redeem those under the law. And we are redeemed, purchased out of slavery, as we see here, enslaved to the elementary principles of this world, to sin. That means, right, this word here, redeem means to buy out of, literally to buy out of the market, the slave market. It illustrates that Christ's payment for our sins and for humanity his payment, his death on the cross, frees those who believe in him from the curse of the law and from slavery to sin. And it's, it's difficult for us to really grasp the significance of that sometimes. It's, it's hard for us to comprehend the gravity of that. Um, we kind of just dismiss it, um, sweep it under the rug, and kind of just thank God for it, but not really fully comprehend it. But imagine literally somebody who is enslaved and, and somebody purchases them and just hands them over the, free, the, you know, the, the keys to their freedom and says, hey, you're free. Right? I, I, I talked about this illustration. Well, I used this as an illustration not too long ago, and it just came up to my head, so I'll say it. But I, like I said, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, I've been, I just binge-watched the entire series uh, that Harry Potter did, right? So I watched all the movies. Anyways, uh, whether that's your cup of your tea or not. Um, but um, if you did watch it, you'll, you'll follow along with me here. And if you didn't watch it, I'll do my best to explain the scene for you. But there's this little elf, and he's adorable. His name is Dobby. Um, but this elf, he's enslaved to this master. And um, Harry Potter, who's the protagonist of the story, he... He becomes friends with this little elf, and at the end of the movie, he hands him a book, and inside the book was a sock. Yeah, it's crazy. It's hilarious, but so emotional at the same time. He hands the elf a sock, and watching it, I'm like, what kind of monster is this person to just hand him a sock? Like, that just doesn't make any sense. But anyways, he goes on, and he's like, Harry, you gave me a sock. He gave me a sock. And I'm like, all right, man, you need to simmer down. It's just one sock, by the way. It's not even two socks. Um, but he hands him a sock. The point is, he purchased his freedom. What, what I didn't understand is that any pair of clothing, even a sock, would purchase him away from his master. So now he had bought him his freedom. He was no longer enslaved. And not only that, we see that in, in later on in the movie, we see that he feels the sense of being indebted to him, right? He is forever grateful for that. He, he gives his, you know, I'm not gonna spoil it. Um, <laughs> just nearly spoiled it, but, but, <laughs> but you can see that he is forever grateful. He, he recognizes this man, Harry Potter, as his best friend. Now, now hear me out. How many of us really truly understand the, 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 the slavery to sin that we've been b bought from? We can never purchase our own freedom. There's nothing we could ever do to escape it, and yet we've been purchased out of that. And we've been given freedom through Christ. 
do we have that same level of love and gratitude? I, I, I would stem as far to say as a lot of times we don't, myself included. And it goes so much further than this. Jesus, him dying on the cross for us, it was not just us being purchased away. When we, when we accept Christ, it's not just us being purchased away from this slavery, this bondage to sin. It, it goes far beyond that. We also become, as we've seen already today, we become sons of God, sons and daughters of God. We become his children. He adopts us into, our, into his family. He doesn't just end there by saying, okay, you are free. But he says, come, I love you. You are now my son. You are now my daughter. He frees you, and then he takes you, and he adopts you into his family. He graciously adopts you as his children. We're no longer slaves to sin, no longer children under the guardianship of the law. And it's not just a status a status that we receive, freed, but instead it's something that we can experience and that we can enjoy. We are sons and daughters through the work of Jesus, but the experience of it's, it is a work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that interprets God's word, the truth of God's word. Apart from the Spirit, we cannot understand it on our own. Thankfully, we have it, and we can look at texts like this and fully understand and comprehend what God has done for us. I hope this is an encouragement to us, especially us in this room, because it's not about how old you are. It's not about the gray hairs that you have on your head. You know, you know, hey, sorry. It's not about those things. You know, considering our age and in regards to the demographic of the church, we're, the, we're at the younger end of the spectrum. But I'll tell you what, everything that they have, right? The same spirit that dwells in them is the spirit that dwells in each and every one of you. As, as a believer, as a child of God, that same spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives in each and every one of us. And we can have a relationship with him. We all have that spirit living within us. The spirit of God will lead you, guide you in all truth if you want it. If you want to know God's truth, if you are willing for it to be your teacher, if you're willing to, um, to, to listen to God's word, he can do that for you. We can't do that on our own strength and our own ability, but he, but he can. In verse 6, we see, As become, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit for his own son, for his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. What does that mean? Again, this is a term of endearment. Think of a child calling out and crying out to their father. It's the manner in which the child does it as well. The intentionality behind it. The reason the way that he does in, in a level of desperation and need is I think that what's significant about this. What's important for us to understand is the correlation between the father and the child in this sense and the application of the word becomes more clear to us and the importance of it becomes clear to us as we cry out to our father. When we think about a child crying out to their father, you think of a child, again, who is in a, in a sense, very helpless, right? On their own, they, 
They, they can't really do anything. They can't provide for themselves. They are totally reliant, dependent on their parents. In this situation, the father, they are affectionate towards him, and they love him, and they understand that they need them for everything. He needs his father. She needs his father. So when a child calls on its father, when a child cries out to its father, we see that this child is totally reliant on him. And God, he has many names. We see that time and time again in Scripture, but one is also Abba. Again, one that applies to us as his children. And we can call out to Abba in the same way, and he listens. We can cry out just as Jesus did to his father. We too can cry out to our father, unashamed, not embarrassed, not hesitant, right? Thinking maybe, maybe we're fearful of not being heard. Maybe certain situations and relationships you've gone through here maybe even with your parents, have led you to think that the same applies for your relationship with your Heavenly Father. And I'll tell you, that is not true. You can cry out to Him. And unfortunately, we neglect to do so. We neglect to realize the significance of this. The Galatians had become children of God. And before that, they were in bondage to their sins, the elements of the world as we saw at the beginning of this chapter, right? They were slaves to sin, they had no right before God. We were in the same boat, and the same applied to us. We did not owe him anything, neither did they, and yet he loved us. The Galatians belonged to sin, all of us included in that sin. And yet, although we were hopeless and powerless before God, he gave us his son. To rescue the Galatians, but not only the Galatians, He's not only reminding them, but this should remind us that he was sent for you and I, for everybody in this room, to redeem his people from sin, which grants us the privilege, not just salvation, eternity with God, but also adoption into his family. We have a heavenly father. There's this quote here, I'll end with this. It's from a pastor named Pastor David Guzik, and he says this about adoption. He says there's a sense that this is totally unnecessary in regards to the blessing that God gives us in the course of salvation. He didn't have to make us his sons and daughters to save us, but he did it because he loves us. He wants to have that kind of relationship with you and me. He wants to know you. He wants you to cry out, to him, not just a relationship between a creator and creation, but one of spiritual heritage. Are you a part of his family? Have you been accepted into his family? If you have, embrace that and celebrate your heavenly father. Celebrate what that means. But if you have not accepted Christ, if you are not part of his family, I want to encourage you and remind you once again that that invitation is open to you this morning. And it will stay open. And for those that are part of my family, my spiritual family, my, uh, my family that I've been adopted to, meaning that we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, if you've been adopted, 
and are a son and daughter of God, I want to encourage you to go out and tell other people about that and let them know that that same father who loves you loves them and desires to have a relationship with them. Don't keep that to yourself. I hope to see this place full of students each and every week who are hungry and desire to learn and, 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 and know more of their Heavenly Father. But that's on you guys as well who are going out into your schools, going out into different environments, who can bring those people in to know who Jesus is. You have that calling and responsibility. I want you to share that. I need to share that. Let this be a challenge for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the time that we have to be gathered together, Lord, to know and understand what you've bought us out of, Lord, that we are no longer enslaved to sin, but we have freedom, and not only freedom, Lord, but we have been bought into your family. You love us, and, and, you, and you desire to have a relationship with us, Lord. I pray that we would but we would seek you, cry out when we need you, Lord, and, 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 and seek to know you more. Um, Lord, to, to, to celebrate you and, and the truths that we've just heard this morning. Thank you so much. And we're so grateful, Lord. I pray that we would go out and seek to glorify you by sharing these truths with others. Lord, we thank you, and we pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Good morning in Citizen. Hope you guys have a great week.